If you would, take your pew Bible, or if you have your own Bible with you, and turn with us, please, to John chapter 15. David, choir, musicians, thank you, one and all. Appreciate your ministry, Alan. Thank you. Choir's reminder is taken from... The Old Testament scriptures, and thank God for that. Great is thy faithfulness. And when you get up every morning, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. And may the Lord enable us to remember that. If you have your Bible open to John 15, would you pray with me, please? Father, may the Spirit of God be our teacher today. We need to hear from heaven. We need the Spirit's ministry to our hearts and to our lives, to our minds. And we ask for that today. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Even a casual reading of John 15 reveals to us that this is a chapter It's built on relationships. It deals with relationships, three in particular. The first 11 verses of this chapter concern themselves with the relationship between the vine and the branches, between the Lord Jesus Christ and the individual Christian. And the key word in these first 11 verses, excuse me, um, yeah, first 11 verses, is abide. It's used some ten times. Abide. What's the relationship between the vine and the branches? The branches are to abide in the vine. In verses 12 through 17, the relationship has to do with that which takes place between the branches. The relationship between believers, between Christians. And the key word there is love. Christians are to love one another. And if you only focus on verses 12 through 17... The word love is used four times. If you go back to the first 11 verses, it's also used several more times in those those verses. So key word there, but when it deals with uh, how Christians relate to other Christians, key word's love. And then in the last section of chapter 15, Jesus spells out the relationship between himself and the world, between Jesus and the world. And he says, the world hates me, and therefore it will hate you key word, sadly, uh, but biblically, the word hate. It's used eight times. Dear people, may I say here, we'll take this up later uh, next week, but if you're looking for the world to love you and to love the church, it's just not going to happen if God's word's true. You wonder why Christian people are ill-treated, ill-thought of? Because Jesus was, and Jesus says, if the world hated me, they will you. Now, those are hard facts, and I don't think any of us like to hear that in particular, but that's what the book says. So there are three main sections here, relationship sections. It's often observed that repetition is the mother of learning. It could also be noted that sometimes repetition is the mother of irritation. 
have you ever been in a learning situation where constant repetition has caused you to think, why do they keep saying that? I heard them the first time. I think I heard them the first 100 times they said that. Jesus had already spoken about love here in the Gospel of John. In fact, on this very same night that we were talking about uh, in verses 12 and following, he had already, prior to this, already referred to the matter of love. In chapter 13, if you want to just look back there with me very quickly, 1334. A new commandment I give to you, that is you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. So he'd already said a lot about love. Have you ever thought, ever wondered, if in any situation, biblical, work, wherever, to say something one time to reasonably intelligent people, shouldn't that be enough? Have you ever thought anything like that? For that matter, why does the New Testament continue to say so much about this matter of love? Romans says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Ephesians says, showing forbearance to one another in love. Peter says, love one another with a fervent love. In 1 John we read, we ought to love one another. And those are just four more references other than the ones in this chapter. There are many more. These are just a few of the references in the New Testament that remind us of the urgency of Christian people loving other Christian people with no strings attached. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce has gone home to be with the Lord now, but for many years he was the pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Dr. Boyce wrote, It is not the first time that this commandment has been given. And if we are sensitive, it's possible that we might be just a bit irritated at Christ's repetition. And then he goes on. Please listen. Why this constant repetition? And why is it possible that any of us should be the least bit irritated? And then he says, the answer to both questions is the same. We do not love one another. Let me apply this just a bit to Wake Chapel Church. If you're here as our guest, I'm sure that the same thing could be said of your fellowship. I don't think it would be accurate to say as a general rule that we don't love each other here at Wake Chapel Church. I think there's a great deal of Christian love here at Wake Chapel Church. And I think I see a number of manifestations of that love. And yet, it would not be accurate to say that we are perfect in these matters and we have no need of any improvement whatsoever. A would-be poet said, To live above with saints you love, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> and sometimes that's true, isn't it? 
So there's a need for us to be reminded over and over again that we should love one another. I think we can see that by the importance that Jesus placed on this simply in John 13 through 17. This is his last extended discourse before he went to the cross. And he spends so much time exhorting his disciples to love one another. The section that we're looking at this morning, verses 12 through 17, I have titled Command to Love. Command to Love. Uh, look at verse 12 with me. First part of verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. If you'll drop down to verse 17. This I command you that you love one another. It strikes me as I've thought about this. Uh, it's a bit unusual because can you think of any other realm in life, any other area of life where you have been commanded to love somebody? I had a hard time with that, that question. I don't know that I have. Yet Jesus puts this in the form of a command. Love is essential. And the way it's expressed in this passage that is before us, there are three aspects to this love. First of all, the standard is given for this love. How are we to love? What's the standard for it? What's the measurement for it? Well, 12b, verse 12b says, love one another Just as I have loved you. That raises the bar considerably, doesn't it? How did Jesus love? He loved without a cause outside of himself. May I say that again? How did Jesus love? He loved without a cause outside of himself. It was an act of his will apart from any merit in the person loved. He didn't love out of emotion. He didn't love out of the beauty in the person loved. He did not love out of any quality in the person loved. My observation is that so much of what the world calls love today is based on something in the person who's loved. If the person's attractive, they will be loved. Or if that person thinks like I do, we will love them. If the person agrees with me, then they're likely to be loved. Or if the person can do something for, for me it is sometimes a reason to love someone else. That's the way the world does. And Jesus does just the opposite of that. It was completely without a cause that Jesus loved. How then are we to love? By what standard? The Bible says we are to love the way Jesus loved. We determine. It's an act of volition. We determine 
We are going to love other Christian people. And then God enables us to do so. Listen to me, dear friends. God never calls us to do that which he doesn't give us the strength to do. God never calls us to do that which he will not give us the strength to do. And someone says, well, you know, Pastor, uh, loving so-and-so is just about impossible. And they're kind of surprised when I say, I think it is impossible in your own right to love somebody. Remember, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He gives the command to love, and he says, apart from me, you can do that. So he's going to give the enabling. He's going to give the strength to do that. Still, somebody says, it's just well, not impossible. Many, many years ago, one of my seminary professors said, The unlovely ones in the brotherhood bring out the worst in me. The whiners get on my nerves. The gossips, the arrogant, the immature, the silly conspire to drain my resolve. But the answer is to remember, as I just said, the branch can do nothing apart from the vine. And to remember also that Jesus loved his friends. You don't have to read very far in the New Testament to find out that Jesus had some unlovely friends. Like this man had spoken of earlier, whiners, gossipy, arrogant, immature, silly friends. But Jesus loved them enough to die for them. He loved them enough to die for them. How are we to love? By an act of our will. It's an act of our volition. And then to trust God to give us the enabling to do that. Why? That's how Jesus loved. The second aspect of this love is the duration. And the duration is found in the tense of the verb in the original language. It's present tense. It means keep on doing this. Keep on doing this. Don't stop loving. Third aspect of this love, the character of it's in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. We are to love sacrificially. Now, I think we need to exercise a bit of caution here because there are some aspects of Jesus' love that we cannot pattern ours after. Jesus' love had infinite value. Jesus' love had substitutionary character. Jesus' love had redemptive consequences. Um, Jesus' love is unique in those areas. But our love for one another can have about it a self-sacrificing nature. It's a giving. It's supposed to be a giving kind of love. A love that is willing to sacrifice. There are many illustrations uh, that could be given of a sacrificial love on a human level. One of the things I take great pleasure in is uh, premarital counseling. I enjoy that. And one reason I enjoy it is because I ask some hard questions. I'll look at the young man who's sitting there quaking in his boots, 
thinking, I'm really going to get married here? Is that what's happening? Yeah, you are, fella. Uh, and, and he doesn't know what's going on, really, a lot of the times. And then I make it worse. I look at him and say, John, or whatever his name happens to be. And I point at him. John, are you willing to die for Susie? And I get some interesting answers. More often than not, it starts with stuttering. (laughs) Sacrificial love ought to be a part of the waiting situation. There are many other illustrations. Some years ago, there was a story, and I kept it. It was in the paper about a grandfather who jumped in the Monongahela River in West Virginia to save his grandson. Both of them died. You remember the uh, Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities where one man slipped into the prison, changed clothes with a dear friend, went to the gallows for his friend, Now, I would not suggest, nor do I believe that it's taught in the scriptures that we sit back and wait for one great sacrificial act, like a couple of these that I have mentioned. But I believe about our love, there ought to be a self-sacrificial character consistently. Just ask yourself the question. Does my love for other Christian people Does my love for the brothers and sisters in the church, does it have about it a self-sacrificing quality? Well, we are commanded to love. First, love as Jesus loved. Second, it is a continual thing, not supposed to stop. Continue loving. And third, it is a self-sacrificing love. Second, in verses 14 and 15, we are called to be friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. I think verse 14 needs to be read rather carefully. Verse 14 does not say, you become my friends if you do what I command you. It doesn't say that because that would make his friendship conditional. And our Lord's love is not, his friendship is not conditioned. It reads, you are my friends if you do what I command. Instead of being conditional... His friendship is transformative. His friendship is transformative. You are my friends. And the indication is, therefore, you will do what I command you to do. He gives us life in such a way that we can never be the same. You come to faith in the Lord Jesus and you'll never be the same. You can never be the same. Jesus' friendship revolutionizes us from the inside out. The mark of someone who truly knows the Lord Jesus 
is that he does whatever the Lord commands. Now, I need to hasten to pick up what's in the next verse. Doing what he commands doesn't make slaves of us. Again, 1550, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what the master's doing. I have called you friends. There's an intimacy. There's an intimacy of knowledge between friends. Masters don't explain to their slaves what they are doing. There is no mutuality there. There's no sharing of information there. But a friend is given information that nobody else has. And through the Word of God and the proofs of prayer, our Lord takes us into His confidence. I think, personally, that's one of the reasons that the Bible has so much to say about God's plan for the future. It's not because He thinks we need to know that. It's because he wants us to know that. I find it interesting, and I'm sure you do as well. The 39 books of the Old Testament. In all that body of material, there's only one person who's called a friend of God. And you know who that was. It was Abraham. Only one person. 39 books. And all that body of Scripture, one person, Abraham. Today, it is the privilege of every child of God to be called a friend of the Lord Jesus. I have called you. First of all, in this chapter, we've looked at being commanded to love and second, called to be friends. Finally, Chosen to bear fruit. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in the Father's, ask the Father in my name that he will give you. First of all, in this verse, chosen to bear fruit. It seems to me that it's very clear there are four stages of this fruit bearing in John 15. Back up in verse 2, it mentions bearing fruit. Uh, In verse 2, it also mentions bearing more fruit. If you drop down to verse 8 of chapter 15, it speaks of bearing much fruit. And then in verse 16, the fourth stage of this fruit bearing is fruit that remains. Now, how are we to understand that? In purely agricultural terms, fruit perishes. We all know this. Pears will perish. Apples will degrade. Berries, oranges, grapefruits, all will spoil. And humanly speaking, I'm afraid that much that we do in our loving comes into this category. It spoils, it degrades. And this, to me, is where the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 apply once again. The Apostle Paul said that which is the works, and he compares them to those being made of wood, hay, and stubble. And he says, those will be consumed. They'll be burned up. But works, they're characterized as 
gold, silver, and precious stones, those will last. And I think our love needs to be compared with gold, silver, and precious stones and be, therefore, fruit that remains. Someone said years and years and years ago, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have been chosen, the text of Scripture says, to bear fruit that remains. Second purpose behind our choosing is found in the last part of verse 16. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he will give you. Now, let me suggest something to you. And you meditate on it, see what you think. Because of this context, because he's writing here about the relationship of one Christian to another, the branches to one another, that's what he's talking about in John 15, verse 12 and following. I believe the emphasis here. In this verse of Scripture, verse 16, the end of it, is on primarily praying for others in the family of God. Now you read back through this and see, look at those to whom he is speaking. Look what he is telling them. And this matter of answered prayer at the end of verse 16. Now, he has other things to say about prayer being answered in other places. But I'm talking about right here in verse 16. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, that will he give you. What's he talking about here? Well, if we're going to keep this in the context in which we find it, I think it has to be related. Branches to branches. You meditate on it. Love means in verse 13, giving ourselves one for another. Love means, in verse 15, sharing. And love means praying, I believe, one for another. And then Jesus returns to the note on which this section started. Verse 17, he says, This I command you, that you love one another. There's a story that is told about a Christian missionary working in China. And he was trying to translate the New Testament into the words of a particular dialect. And in order to do that, he had enlisted a Confucian, Confucianist scholar who was to be his helper in the translation. And these two men worked long days, long hours together as the missionary was trying to translate the New Testament from the English language into that dialect. They discussed words. They discussed concepts. And the Confucian scholar tried to explain the meanings of words and help the missionary to select just the right word to put into the dialect. For a long time, the Christian missionary never said anything to his helper about faith in Christ. But as the two drew to a close of their work together, the missionary felt like the time had arrived for him to speak to his helper about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the missionary said, you've been a great help to me. 
and I couldn't have gotten along without you. And now I'd like to speak to you. We've worked together on the Bible. And I just wonder if you've seen the depth, the meaning, the love, the joy of Christianity. And would you like to become a Christian? The Confucian scholar looked at the missionary and said, To tell the truth, it does appeal to me. And then he said these words, I think if I could see one Christian, I might become even more interested. The missionary said, But wait a minute, I am a Christian. And the Confucianist replied, wanting not to re-hurt or offend, but the Confucianist replied, Oh no, pardon me. I don't want to offend you, but I have observed you and listened to you all the time we've been working together. And you're not a Christian. If I understand a Christian is a follower of Jesus, and Jesus said a new commandment I give to you, that you have love one for another. And then the Confucian scholar said, But I have listened to you. You talk about others who are not present and say unkind things about them. You're not a Christian. I've noticed that Christianity teaches a perfect trust in others. But I've watched, and if your check from the mission board is a few days late, you become terribly upset, agitated, and concerned. No, you're not a Christian. But I think if I could see one Christian, I'd like to become one. At that point, the missionary, who was indeed a true Christian, began to weep and turned to ask for forgiveness. My friends, Christians aren't perfect, but they are characterized by love which is the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is the first one on the list, is love. And that's to characterize me and you. It's to characterize the branches with other branches. We are to love. You know, almost without exception, the biography of a great man will contain something of his thoughts as he approached death. People are curious to learn what a great person was thinking about during his last days. What occupied his mind? Chaucer died while working on a ballad. Rousseau, when dying, had his attendants place him before an open window so he could look out on his garden and bid goodbye to nature. Mozart said, Let me hear once more those notes, so long my solace and delight. Our Lord's final words to his followers were not about institutions or organizations. When Jesus was dying, he didn't talk to the disciples about church, he didn't talk to the church about sacraments. He didn't talk about church polity. Jesus left this earth urging his followers 
to love one another. Have we got the message? I pray that the love that exists at Wake Chapel Church will grow, will abound, and have fruit that remains. Would you pray with me? Lord, it would seem to me that there are few subjects that Christian people can talk about that would generate more convicting of the Spirit of God than the matter of love. We know that you gave this matter of loving one another as a command, and yet we are frail. Our resolve is not what it ought to be. We have not long enough and strongly enough and on a repeated basis asked, Lord, help me to love others. Lord, there's somebody that I just have a hard time getting along with. I pray that you'd help me to love them. We have done that too infrequently. And our love wanes. Forgive us, we pray, O oh God. Help us to love the way you love. Give to our love a permanency, a non-stop element. Give us to love the way you loved. Give us to love with a spirit that is sacrificial. Lord, I just would pray you would help us to love as you love and as you've commanded. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. What wonderful words to sing as we close the service. Join together in hearts, and we hope one another, or to see one another again. God bless you. We have a number of guests here, Husky family, Max, Brooks, and all the family, and we have other guests as well. You folks are welcome at Wake Chapel Church. Let me invite you to come and worship with us again. It would be a great blessing to all who called this home. Ricky Powell is our deacon of the day. Ricky, if you will come and dismiss us with prayer. And after he prays, we'll sing. God be with you till we meet again. May I ask home folks, please, uh, we've got a number of folks who are guests with us this morning. Please greet them. A great tragedy would take place if somebody came to Wake Chapel Church and left, and nobody other than the pastor said diddly to them. <laughs> you know who our guests are. 
There are people you don't see every Sunday. (laughs) Greet them. Find them. Say, it's good to have you here. Tell Max you'll be praying for him. He may. He kind of has a... um, I don't know what his mom and dad know or not, but I'll let the cat out of the bag. Uh, He's got another three months of training, uh, infantry training, and then he will be slotted to uh, Europe, Asia, Japan. He's hoping for Japan. But that's three months down the road, right, Max? Yes, sir. So pray for them. Mom and Dad, we've told you we're going to be praying for you. Folks here have said they're going to be praying for you. Tell them again, will you? Tell them again. If you can, I know it'll be very hard. And, and, and yet I think it's important for me to say it to you anyway and hope that you'll, some of you will do it. Find Max and tell him, thank you for serving. Thank you for serving. Our military, well... That's another sermon. They need our respect and our support. If it weren't for our military, we couldn't worship today. Somebody would come in the back door and say, y'all can't do this. Rick, pray for us, would you please? Yes, sir. Would you bow your head with me, please? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful time this morning in which we can come to your house and celebrate the love that you have for each one of us in giving your Son and our Savior Jesus Christ for our, to cover, forgive us for our sins. We thank you for Connor Robert Husky, Lord, his mother. I've seen her grow up in this church and it makes me feel a little bit old today, but it's wonderful that he could be dedicated to your service. And please, God, and direct them and each family member and bless them, Lord, to bring that child up in your word of truth. We thank you for Max and for guiding him and directing him, dear Lord, and his brother. And please guide them in their steps, Lord, and help us all, dear Lord, as we leave this place today to bring glory and honor to you. And if we're given an opportunity to tell someone about you and your love, may we boldly tell them about Jesus Christ. We ask your blessings upon those that are names that are written in the bulletin. And for Becky Thomas, Lord, please help her pain and help Joey and Christine as they look after her. Dear Lord, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're here but a very short time. But we're here to bring glory and honor to you. Please help us to love each other and to lift each other up in times of trouble. And help us to bring glory and honor to to you in this country and just guide and direct us through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.